John chapter 14. This morning we will focus on verses 30 and 31. John 14. John 14 verses 30 and 31. The terrible spirit named Satan would prefer to go unnoticed. He is glad not to be thought of or seen. There are commonly debates about the existence of God, but rarely do we have debates about the existence of Satan. Most people loosely agree that there is an evil spirit named Satan or the devil. They believe in demons, but they rarely think about what he is or does. When they do think about him, their thoughts are confused. They tend to think of one verse, John 10 verse 10, the thief comes, and many of you will know it because this has been so catechized into people by false doctrine. The thief comes, but to do what? To steal and to kill and to destroy. And they will say that what Satan wants to do is make you poor. He wants to take away your job. He wants you to be uncomfortable. And that will be about the end of their understanding of the doctrine of demonology. But what we should understand is that when Satan does come, he is disguised. He appears as an angel of light, Paul tells us. And he was such that he could come in Job chapter 1 with all the sons of God. There was a kind of similarity between the greatest heavenly glories and this evil angel. In fact, did you ever think that only two humans in the Bible ever speak to Satan? Can you think of who they would be? Only two humans in the Bible ever speak to Satan. Give me one of them. Annie? Jesus is one. Can you think of another? No. Eve. Eve says one thing to Satan and she's conquered. Jesus carries on a dialogue and conquers. Satan conquers everyone with whom he speaks. He's not the equal, he's far the superior of you. He is greater than you, and you are no match for him. You must not be like the fools today who put stickers on their vehicles that say, sacrilegious and foolish things like, quote, shut up, Satan, close quote. And they even forget the comma after shut up. He wants to stay forgotten. He wants to be unknown because his chief work is deception. He is a liar and the father of lies. His goal is not to be thought of, not to be known. And if he can make you think about him in a foolish or untrue way, then he's won. In that case, he'll say, talk about me all you want if you're going to do it in a foolish and backward way. But he does not want his schemes to be opened up. And yet our Lord knew all about him. He knew where he was coming from and where he was going to. 
And Satan knew our Lord. Even Satan's lesser demons called Jesus the Holy One of God. Satan appears several times in these chapters, chapters 13 to 17. We saw him in chapter 13, verse 2, right at the beginning. It said Satan had filled Judas' heart. We saw him in chapter 13, verse 27. It says Satan entered Judas' heart. So he had some kind of outside influence for years. And the closer it got to the cross, the more Satan drew near to Judas. So there are degrees of fellowship with Satan. Here in chapter 14, he calls him the ruler of the world. The King James says the prince of the world. Literally, it means the first one. The first one of the world. In chapter 16, Jesus will speak of Satan again. And in chapter 17, he will pray that God will protect all the people from the evil one. That right there should tell you Satan's true position. That Jesus must pray that God the Father would protect you from Satan. You are too small and too weak. Do not ever think that you will go against this evil spirit. He'll trick you. The way Lionel Messi would score on a two-year-old. It is nothing to him to overcome you. And so, the point here is that Jesus knew that Satan was active. He knew that he was going about his work and his plan. And he warns his disciples as the last thing he says before walking out of the upper room. Chapters 15 and 16 take place as Jesus is walking on his way to the garden. That's why he says, we'll see next week, I am the vine. He's probably looking at the particular kinds of vines as he talks to them. And pulls illustrations from everything he sees. In chapter 16, just a few moments before they're about to see military soldiers coming to attack Jesus, Jesus is going to say, the time will come when they will kill you. And he's thinking, for me, it's only a few moments away. And for you, it's a few days. So he's pulling examples and pulling teaching right from the things around him. And here, as he's about ready to walk out the door, he brings Satan to their attention. Because in the book of Luke, chapter 22, when Jesus arrives in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe it's verse 20, when he arrives in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas comes up to him, and Peter pulls out his sword, and Jesus says, put your sword away. And then turning to Judas says, for this is your hour and the power of darkness. That is, Jesus knew the hour of Satan's greatest pinnacle of success was approaching. That's where we're at in John 14. We're just a few moments before the actual hour of darkness. The greatest point of satanic domination that the world has ever seen is just moments away. And so Jesus says... All right, I've known this hour is coming. For this cause, I came into the world. And for this hour, I was born. He knew that. 
Maybe even as an infant, he knew about the great power of Satan and that he would one day confront him. And now as he walks out, he says the first word to the disciples, the prince, the king, the ruler, the first one of this world is coming. He has no part with me. So this morning, I would like to preach to you on the ruler of the world. The message will come however you'd like to outline it. I'll give you two outlines and you tell me, or you can follow however is easiest for you. The message comes in this way. Christ's enemy. Point number one. Point number two, Satan's enemy. Or you can follow it this way. It's either in two points. Christ's enemy and then Satan's enemy. Or you can follow it this way. The authority of Satan. He's the ruler of the world. The activity of Satan. He's coming. The opposition to Satan. He has no part with Christ. And the overthrow of Satan. I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So however it's easiest for you to follow, let's study the ruler of this world. He's called the ruler of this world in verse 30. Give me some other names throughout the Bible that indicate Satan. Quickly, quickly, other names throughout the Bible that indicate Satan. He's the wicked one, yes. The devil. A devil was an unclean spirit. In Greek mythology, it was actually a demigod. It could be a good thing. But in Christian theology, when the Bible uses that word, it's always an unclean spirit. The prince of the power of the air. That's a very important title. It's from Ephesians chapter 2. And it tells us this evil spirit, Satan, he actually controls demons all around. As C.S. Lewis says, don't call it space. Call it the heavens. So don't call it NASA. Call it Naha. In the heavens, there are these spirits. And he's the king of all those spirits. They're in four groupings in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. They're called rulers. The same Greek word. Here, the ruler of the world is Satan. And then there's these other rulers. There's actually many, many rulers. All these demonic powers are called rulers. And the chief of all the kings of the air is this one. In fact, Ephesians 6.12 has four words to describe those demons over which Satan rules. They are rulers. They are authorities. A word used for political power. They are spiritual powers in heavenly places. And they are spirits. He's the one on top of all of those. Some more names for Satan. Who is he? He's the serpent. That word is connected to the dragon, which we find we find serpent in Genesis. But it's as if Satan grows. He, he hides himself as, as a snake. That might be less offensive than a dragon who appears in Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation 12, it's very interesting. He's described as a great red dragon. But the New King James gets it right. The word red is puros, pur. 
Have you ever heard of a pyromaniac? What's a pyromaniac? It's someone who loves to start fires. Pyre is the Greek word for fire. The word that describes Satan in in Revelation chapter 12, he's a red dragon, actually says he's a fiery dragon. And the New King James translates it exactly right. He's a fiery dragon. Revelation 12, this serpent, this snake, is some kind of terrifying, fiery dragon who stands in parallel with the dragon-like spirits in Isaiah chapter 6 called seraphim. In Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah sees the Holy One lifted up and his train fills the temple and it says there's two seraphim flying around with six wings each. The word for seraph is just, the word seraph is a Hebrew word. It means, it means uh, well, it, I'm sorry, in English the word seraph is simply a transliteration. So if you say seraph in Hebrew, it says seraph. If you say seraph in English, it's seraph. But the meaning of the word is a serpentine fiery being. Serpentine, dragon-like. Here's a flying serpent that's fiery. Those are in Isaiah 6. And here is Satan as the evil dragon attempting to conquer and overthrow these ones. He is the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. How many gods are there? There are many. How many true gods are there? One. Satan is the god of this world. Satan is the active, prowling, roaring lion. He is the father of lies. He is the angel of light. He is Belial. Belial means worthlessness. 2 Corinthians 6.15 He is Beelzebub or Beelzebul, which means lord of filth. You see the words Beel, B-E-E-L, Beelzebub, That comes from Baal in the Old Testament. Baal was a Canaanitish word for Lord, which is why Baal refers to God in the book of Jeremiah. Baal means Lord, and in the Old Testament, their false gods were called their Baals. Ahab worshipped Baal. It simply means he worshipped his Lord, which was not Jehovah. In the New Testament, in Greek, they said Beelzebub. That means the Lord of the filth. Or the Lord of the flies. That's in Matthew chapter 12. That they call Satan the Lord of the filth. He is the tempter in Matthew 4. He is Diabolos. How many of you know the word Diabolos? Have you heard that word? I learned this week what I never knew. Diabolos means a malicious gossip. I thought Diabolos meant devil. It actually means a gossip, which is why in 1 Timothy 3, when it says the wives of the deacons must not be gossips, it actually says you can't let any man be a deacon if his wife is a devil or diabolos. If his wife has a tongue that can't stop, she's acting like Satan. Don't let that guy lead the church. He is diabolos. Because he's an accuser. He is constantly accusing the brethren. He is going to remember all of your sins and throw them up in your face at the final judgment if he were given chance. Do you think you have a better memory than he does? 
He can remember and he can record every bad thing you've done. Do you think that you are going to be able to convince God in the presence of that lawyer who's already won millions and billions of people to his place in hell? Do you think that you'll be able to beat that one against the judge of all the earth? You need a lawyer. Don't go into that courtroom without a lawyer. This one is the evil one. What are his works? It says he's what in verse 30, 1430. He is the ruler of this world. So we know that he, he's a leader. He's the leader of a great army. The soldiers are all the unclean spirits. And every unbelieving person in the world, which means all of your children when they are born, they are servants of Satan. If you are a Christian, you have servants of Satan being born into your home. And if you are not a wise father, you will not change them. You must be a wise father so that you can change them from darkness to light and lead them into light. You have not only an enemy in your own heart, you are bringing enemies into the world as your own children. And you've got to say, God, give me help. Tonight's message on Father's Day, tonight's message is our last message on the Christian family on how to lead family worship. Every parent should be back tonight with paper and pen because you've got servants of Satan in your home. They're not neutral. They can pretend to be neutral because Satan is an angel of light and he's a deceiver. But dad, it is your responsibility to drive that dragon out of the home. There is a worldwide conspiracy. I don't know how many people here read or hear about these things like the Illuminati, the Bilderberg group, this group of 50 or 100 or 500 men who rule the world and control all the countries of the world. And people say, is there a conspiracy theory? Are these men able to control the world? The answer is absolutely there is a conspiracy. The Bible is explicit that there is a conspiracy. And it is made first by Satan and his demons. I don't know about these other groups. Don't, I, don't, don't worry about those. The real danger is their leader. And the people who think they understand the conspiracy theories tend not to even think about their leader. The real conspiracy is this unclean spirit. Because in Psalm 82 verse 1, the Bible says he has gathered almost all of the kings of the earth to follow him. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26, it says almost all of the people who have positions of power are following him. That includes the educational power. That includes the political power. That includes the economic power. Expect the leaders of big corporations to be tools of Satan. Expect those who control what books your children read to be children of Satan. Because Ephesians 2 verses 2 and 3 say that all men from their birth are born as children of wrath and children of disobedience. Satan aims at the school's so that he can catechize them in his religion from the beginning. Richard Baxter, whom I'm going to quote at length in this sermon, warns us that Satan makes an especial attack on education. And he tells parents in every way possible, 
I'll take, your children will be well taken care of. And he slips in philosophies that most parents do not notice. In fact, he has his own pastors. Did you know that? 2 Corinthians 12 verse 15 says he has his own ministers. He has his own servants, his own ministers, his own pastors, his own prophets. He even has his own apostles. Every one of those are described. It is amazing to me that we want to accept every pastor as a true pastor. Every apostle is a true apostle. 2 Corinthians explicitly says Satan has his own servants who pretend to be Christian. Satan has his own ministers, his own pastors, apostles, prophets. All of them. I want to ask you, can you name them? If you can't tell me their names, it means you got tricked. I can tell you their names. I told you some, I can tell you some of their names. I can't tell you all. I just read their books. I listen to their preaching. You tell, that's a man of Satan. Last week, I named a few of those men who have clearly contradicted the Bible. And afterward, I asked a few people, how did you feel? Were you comfortable with that? If you're not comfortable with having the servants of Satan named, then it means you're probably tricked. I'm telling you this because this is not a game to play. This is not, well, let's just be nice and keep going through the world. There's no nice. You're in a war zone. There's no time for niceness. Pick up your weapon or get shot. If that's too aggressive or too powerful for you, then you need to recognize what the Bible talks. And by the way, it is Father's Day. We need to talk like men, right? There's no part of the nation or the world where Satan does not actively insert himself, but he does it subtly. He does it in quiet, deceitful ways. And for the most part, his work is spiritual and it is silent. Satan is very glad to give money to his people because he wants you to know, oh, his servants get paid very well. Look at how the servants of Jesus get paid. They drive old vehicles or they don't even have cars. Their clothes are old and their shoes are ripped. But look at that guy. He gets paid well. Matthew 4 verse 9. Satan came to Jesus and said, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And a moment later he says, all of this I will give to you. All, everything. Satan holds in his hand all the riches and wealth. Oh, high position at an oil company? No problem. I can give you that. Just follow me. Jesus did not say to Satan, Matthew chapter 4, you're lying. You can't give me those things. Jesus looked at Satan and knew, you have been given for a brief moment, a few thousand years. You have been given the world into your hand, but I will not fall for your temptation. But we're so foolish, we act as if, if a man has money, he's blessed. And if a man's poor, he's cursed. Satan loves to trick you with money. And since we don't read our Bibles, and we shut off our brains when we come to church, and we have the TV pouring so, much, uh, so many ideas into us that we can't possibly find the truth from the error. Have you ever seen someone toss a coin into a pool and then told the kids, jump in and try to get it? It's one thing if it's a kiddie pool and there's six kids. You're going to come back with a coin. One of them will come with a coin. But what if it's a lake? Toss a two rand, go get it. 
What if it's Lake Tanganyika, which is over a thousand kilometers long in Tanzania? Toss a two rand in there. Do you see the addition of water? Water's not bad, but by adding water, you make the treasure more difficult to find. One of Satan's plans is to pour movies and TVs and songs and thoughts and ideas and words into your mind so that if there ever was a good thought, it's pushed out of your mind. Here I am preaching and pleading and I worked 12 hours on this sermon and this thought's going to come into your mind and while I'm preaching, you're saying, phew, that was a word, phew, that was a word and before 2 o'clock today, it's going to be gone with the waterfall of stupidity coming from that one-eyed demon on the wall. It's the overflow of ideas where you can't possibly... Where was the treasure again? Ah, there'll be another treasure sooner or later. He is active. His great work is temptation. And in Revelation 12 verse 13, he despises the country of Israel. The physical country of Israel with a blue and white flag, with a blue stripe at the top and a blue stripe at the bottom and a six-pointed star. That country is and has always been despised by Satan. Revelation 12, 13, the theologian Harry Boltima says, Satan always hates what God always loves, and God loves Israel. Friends, it is an important part of the Christian imagination to strengthen your mind so that you will be able to understand and conceive and ponder and lay hold of the ways that he would attack. He is a dangerous foe. And our problem is, we have, we have settled for foolish imaginations. We conceive of Satan as a joke or a fool or something to laugh at. Have you never read in 2 Peter chapter 2, I think it's verse 10 or 11, where it says, false teachers laugh at heavenly angels. It's not talking about heavenly angels like the good angels. False teachers laugh at the angels in the air. Who is the prince of the powers of the air? Satan has his angels all around. And false teachers look up and laugh at those demons. They pretend like they have power over them. One more way you know a false teacher. He's always full of bravado. Laughing and bouncing. His sermons are funny. He's always making people laugh. He mocks angels that are far beyond his power or ability. And when he mocks those angels, I can imagine they sit quietly and say, it's exactly what we want. You go and lead all those people to think that angels are nothing, demons are nothing, Satan's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you lost your job, that was Satan. Forget about the fact that you were lazy and you lied and you stole five times. You didn't come to work. You never helped your company. You were disloyal. You didn't act like a Christian. You were gossiping all the time. Forget all that. Yeah, yeah. You lost it because of Satan. That's right. And they laugh. Those evil spirits saying, we, he who laughs last will laugh best. Even Michael the archangel would not rebuke Satan. Then what do these fools who call themselves pastors who are ministers of Satan, tools of the evil one, what do they think they are when they can rebuke these powers that are far beyond them? 
And if someone wants to say 1 John 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, remember what the verse says. Greater is the one who is in you, not you. You're not greater. You're dust. You have a beginning and an end. You can't move through time. You can't move through space like an angel can. You are bound to a body. You're so weak that a drop of water can kill you. You're so weak that if I don't put a piece of paper in front of my mouth, the world thinks I'm going to kill you. That's how weak you are. Don't think. Don't think you're strong. We are not strong. We are very weak. We're specially loved by God, but we are not strong. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Silent Planet, said, when speaking one angel to the other, the two angels came near to speak to a human, and at that point as they drew near, the one angel said to the other, be very gentle. Remember that the least of our touches will kill this one. In the Bible, when men see angels, they fall on their face in terror. So we have an introduction to this evil spirit. We've got something of who he is, but I want to ask you, what does he do? What does he do in verse 30? He comes. In verse 30, he's coming. People who come are active people. He not only comes, he fills Judas's heart. He rules the world. In Luke 22, 53, he gives power to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. I'm sorry, did I say Luke 22, verse 20? It's Luke 22, verse 53. He gives power to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. Satan has been very active from the beginning of the world. Matthew 13, verse 19, he steals the word of God out of your heart. Some of you will listen to me preach and you will be so touched. You'll hear the testimony, you'll hear the song and you'll think, wow, that was so true. And before two days have passed, it's all gone from your mind. And you think, oh, oh well, oh well. Oh well, that was the work of Satan. The evil spirit who has lived for 6,000 years, who has sent their millions and hundreds of millions to hell, he came right to your mind and you didn't know it because you're weak and foolish. He tricked you. The Bible came to you and you thought nothing of it. You sat little by it. You didn't bother to catechize your children. You said, oh, Sunday night, I'm too tired. Oh, Monday, read my Bible. I'll take care of it tomorrow. Oh, it's enough that I did it two times. Oh, it's enough that I did it four times. Well, let me just read it very quickly, but with not much of my heart, because if not, the pastor will question me on Sunday. And oh, I'll get by with this little, not remembering that most men do far too little. If you did your very best, it would not even be a tithe of what is necessary but you don't do your best isn't it true you barely do a tithe of your best which is not even 10 percent of what's necessary brothers and sisters we need to wake up that he is active from the beginning of the of the world first john 5 19 says the whole world lies in his power the whole world right now is in his power I'm not surprised that there's crime. I'm not surprised that politicians murder babies every day. I'm not surprised that politicians can't understand that a society will flourish when there's one man and one woman for one life. Of course our politicians are confused and wicked. Of course they're corrupt. Why would you be surprised? I'm only surprised that you're surprised. 
You're surprised because you haven't read 1 John 5, 19. The entire world is in the power of the evil one. The, the insanity that has happened by closing down the world for a deadly flu. Expect far worse in the future until our Lord returns. It's going to get worse than this. Two weeks ago, there were videos introduced in an American school system for three-year-olds to learn about sexual perversion. Well, why not? That's only, it's only going to go worse and worse because the entire world is lying in his power. He rules the world by drawing men to sin. Like gravity pulls water downward. So the temptations are constantly pulling us. Unless there's a pump pushing the water uphill, the water's always going to go where? Like hunger. It draws you constantly to eat. So temptation draws you constantly to sin. If you don't have some unusual power, if you don't have something distracting you, you're going to be focusing on how hungry you are. Young boys think about food unless they're playing ball. They think about food unless they're drawing near to their fiancé. They think about food unless perhaps they're working very hard or very dedicated to some cause. But as soon as you take that direct focus away from them, food. So temptation comes to you. It's constantly there. It's always there. It will be there yesterday. It's going to come again tomorrow. As often as you eat, so often will you be tempted. How does he tempt or come or rule? How does Satan do this? Richard Baxter, one of the greatest of the Puritans who wrote 140 to 150 books, In one of his books, he deals at length with Satan. And he says there are 12 of the worst heart sins to which Satan particularly tempts us. I'd like to give those to you. I'll read these. These are directly from Baxter. Quote, number one, ignorance, the chief friend and cloak to all the other sins. Ignorance is a sin. Satan tempts you to be ignorant. That's why you don't want to come to the second hour. That's why you don't come to the theology class. That's why we don't read our Bibles. Satan wants to keep you ignorant. He is eager. That's why I do everything but give you chocolate bars to read the Bible. And if that will help you, I'll give that too. Read your Bibles. Because Satan's first sin is ignorance. The cloak of all the rest. Number two, error. Error. False teaching. He loves false teaching because that justifies all the sins. Number three, unbelief, because it keeps off all that would stop him. Number four, unholiness, the defiance of God and all his armies. Number five, presumption. Presumption is assuming you are better or stronger than you are. Presumption is when a goat assumes that he's a sheep. Presumption is when a man says, oh, I won't fall to that sin. Oh, he would have to be a child to fall to that sin. I'm well beyond that. Never knowing Satan's laughing because he's been making you fall to that particular sin for five years while you laugh saying, I would never. (laughs) He's not laughing. Number six, hardness of heart, which fortifies sinners against all grace. Number seven, hypocrisy, which makes them serve Satan as spies. They go into the church and they act as a spy for Satan. Number eight, disaffection to God, not loving God. Here's number eight, not loving God, his ways and his servants, for this is the devil's 
flag. Number nine, unthankfulness. It tends to make men unreconcilable and unforgivable. Number 10, pride. This is the commander of all the other sins. Number 11, worldliness or love of money. It keeps his armies in pay. Number 12, sensuality and fornication. Baxter says if there are two of these 12s who are the generals of all the others, it would be pride and fornication. Baxter goes on to list 94 ways which Satan tempts us. 94. And at the end of his list of 94, which takes about 20 pages, at the end of his list of 94 ways that Satan tries to tempt us, he says, I have only dealt with these as briefly as I possibly could, though a great many people will think I went too long. But he says, I must for your soul's sake at least reveal the 94 most common ways Satan will tempt us. Have you ever had a true pastor? You hear that? I I wonder if you've ever heard a true pastor in your life. Have you ever had a pastor tell you a hundred ways that Satan is going to tempt you and say, I know you think I went too long, but this is the absolute shortest I can make it so that I didn't damn your soul by not telling you the truth. And today I'm going to take 21 of the 94. I told you I wouldn't get to the last part. Arise, let us go, we'll be for next week. Let me give you 21 ways that Satan tempts us. He labors to keep God, Christ, heaven, and hell out of sight, number one. He tries to keep them out of sight. Again, that is the great error of the television. I am the sworn enemy of the television, not at first because it puts immodest women on the TV, which it does. Not because it puts adultery and fornication on the TV, which it does. Not because it praises wicked men and glorifies violence, which it does. I am against the TV because people who love TVs rarely read their Bibles. That's it. If you can have a TV and read the Bible, fantastic. But it's, a, it's, it's difficult. So let's understand why it is that we... He tells us the first great temptation, he's going to do his best to keep God, Christ, heaven, and hell on the side. You think, how many minutes did you think about God, Christ, heaven, and hell this week? On the Lord's day, he gives you one day in seven, 14% of your week is given to him. How much time did you give to think about him? Last Lord's day. Oh, I just didn't have time to memorize that verse. Oh, really? You got up at 6 a.m., you went to bed at 10 p.m., If my math's correct, that's 16 hours. You had 16 hours, but just not enough time in 16 hours when we had a a two-hour service in the morning to memorize the verse. Brothers and sisters, I'm not scolding. I'm telling you honestly because I love you and I want you to know the way Satan is tempting. He wants God, heaven, hell out of your mind. Think about it. If, okay, you're going to go to that Grace Bible, but just at 90 minutes, the other hundred and... 56 and a half hours, 166 and a half hours in the week? Yeah, just no God or Christ. Temptation number two, the devil hides himself from the sinner's sight. So number one, he hides God and Christ. Number two, he hides himself. Number three, he urges us to think 
about sin. Baxter writes, remember, this is the common entrance of the greatest sins. We like to say, well, I didn't sin. I just thought about it. If you think that what you think about, you end up doing. Number four, if Satan cannot get men to sin, he moves them to lower their opposition to it or to come near to it. Well, I'm not sinning, but I'm strong enough to, I, you know, I go, I go with my friends here and there, but I didn't actually do it. Number five, he makes men confident in their own strength. This was one of his best points. He has men say, yes, long ago I would have fallen to that one, but not anymore. It's not a problem for me now. All the while knowing that he's been trapping that particular man in that particular sin. How many people talk to me as if they're great Christians? Oh, yes, I believe in Christ. And I'm thinking to myself, you know nothing of Christ. Unbelief is your greatest sin right now. And you're talking to me uh, bragging about how greatly you believe in Christ. Number six, he tells men that they need not fear this sin because it's, if it really is bad, they can just repent of it later. He tells men, I, I know this is sin, and you, you know it's sin, but there's this repentance. You can always repent. That's the error of Islam. That's the error of Catholicism. That's the error of African traditional religion. Oh, God forgives. God, God I can repent. He forgives, that's his job, right? My job is I work at game and I stand at the till. His job is he forgets bad things, right? That's blasphemy. Number seven, Satan tells men they'll only sin once. He tells them if you do sin, it's only a small sin. And look at those people, they sinned worse. Number eight, he tells them that they have already done it once. And whatever can be forgiven once can be forgiven He would tell us that we are already God's children and God's children cannot be lost because his sheep are in his hand. That is a terrible danger. Oh, I fear for people who come to this church. They say to themselves, I'm one of his sheep. Satan wants goats to think that way. Do not rest rest until you did what Cornet did. 12, 18, 19, 20, 21. And then after 10 years of struggle, his confidence was rooted in Christ. You be sure your confidence is in Christ because goats talk about confidence with no foundation in Jesus. Number nine. Number 10, he causes men to guard firmly against one sin and so ignore all the others. Some people shout about drunkenness or, oh, I've heard some whites talk about, oh, those blacks are so lazy, so lazy. And all, what's coming in the back? Hatred, bitterness, and gossip. They'll shout at that guy's sin. Charles Spurgeon says, the false Christian hates other people's sin. The true Christian hates all sin. Number 11, Satan tempts us to keep religion under control so that we will not be extreme. Number 12, he tempts you to sin because the authority commands you to sin. For an example, what if you were in a country where, for example, the government said, don't go to church? Number 13, he tells you that you can repent every day. And so there's no need to fear. He changes, number 14, he changes the names of sin. He says, gluttony is not a sin. What you're doing is just keeping a good house. 
He says, lust is not a sin. It's, this is harmless pleasure. When you watch that movie with those people acting that way, it was harmless pleasure. He says, your anger is really godly zeal. He says, your covetousness is really thrift and taking care with money. He says, your laziness and wasting time is really just recreation and rest and entertainment. He says that your pride is just keeping yourself decent and being respectable. He says that your proud revenge is really honor and gallantry. He says that your stubbornness and your hard heart is really, you're, you're just standing firm. I'm just a strong guy. I've got to tell people like it is. Really, you're stubborn and have a hard heart. You call yourself, you say what you're doing is just explaining yourself, but Satan calls it, uh, God calls it gossip. Satan tricked you and said, no, 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 ladies, just go explain yourself. You know what she did? Go to that other person, just explain to that person everything they were saying. Number 15, Satan tempts us to think that trying is winning. Did you hear that? Satan tempts us to think that everyone gets a trophy if they just try. Oh, as long as you try to be a Christian, you're a Christian. And that's not true. Luke 13, 24. The great number of people who try to be Christians will not go to heaven. Number, number 16. He tempts us to believe that sin is too hard to overcome. He tempts us to think that the ways of Christ and the church will take too long to learn. Number 17, he tells us that we are quite well without doing all these duties. I'm doing well enough. I mean, I go to church, but I'm not going to be extreme. You know, evangelizing and Bible studies and reading my Bible every day and the scripture memory. And, you know, I'm going to church and... That, that church is so precise and that's so strict. You've got all these ways you like to give these testimonies and church discipline and accountability and prayer time. And I mean, it's good to pray. I, don't, I pray too, but oh, it's so strict. Satan will tell you, oh, don't worry about all that. Number 18, he urges us to use the names of God and Christ in prayer while we are still outside of God and Christ and not laying hold of him. He tempts you to pray with your tongue only and not with your heart. How many of us today in the prayer time need to confess that one? Oh God, forgive me for praying but not having a heart. Number 20, he will promise you, Satan will promise you more than God promises for attending church or prayer or reading the Bible. This is amazing. Richard Baxter wrote this in 1650. Satan will promise you if you go to church, you'll stand out of your wheelchair. You go to church, you'll get a husband. You go to church, your sickness will be gone. Go to church, you'll get a job. Go to church, your problems will melt away. Satan will tempt you. Yeah, yeah, he'll give you all this. And then when that doesn't come, then you fall away because you had no root. Number 21, Satan will tempt you to bring you to prayer, reading, and church with a divided, distracted heart, still half thinking of other things. That's only 21 of the 94. I should have brought the book to see who would borrow it and read it this afternoon. Brothers and sisters, I've only dealt with these words in verse 30. The ruler of this world is coming. With God's help, we'll look next time and we'll see the enemy of Satan. We saw today Christ's enemy. 
And he is your enemy. He is coming after your soul. Oh, may you be spared from him. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Guide us, guard us, protect us. Be our priest and stand up for us. Step between the devil and us. Oh, Lord Jesus, deliver us from temptation or we are lost. We pray in Jesus' name that we would all lay hold of God in Christ. Amen.